Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, you've returned from Florida, and I bet you miss it. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Florida guy, if I'm being honest. Although I You're do. You're a Florida man? I appreciate the memes, though. The memes were great uh, from my Florida trip. Um, but it was obviously nice to get out in the sun, fun to be out with my TSN guys. But I wouldn't, like, Florida's not the kind of place I would vacation, put it that way. Um, so I'm not too sad to be home. I'm actually, it's my dad's birthday today. So, Coburg Papa, another another year around the sun, and we got a cool day planned. He's going to come into Toronto. I'm taking him to the Leafs-Jets game tonight. Got a little uh, dinner planned, and, and he's going to spend spend the night in Toronto. So, that's uh, so I guess maybe that's where my head's at when you ask, like, you're sad to be back. He's like, no, I'm pumped to be here because it's going to be a great day. Happy birthday to Coburg Papa, uh, an OG. Loyal listener of the show. He has never missed a second. I look I mean, beyond just loyal listener. I mean, I think he's everything to this show as far as I'm concerned. So we have to show him uh, some love today on the CJ show. Coburg Papa, Mr. Johnston, happy birthday. And let me set the record straight. I think this is my first time in the stand sort of as a quote unquote fan since that, that game in Calgary. And there will be no edibles <laughs> tonight. There will be no edibles yeah. tonight for Coburg Papa and I. Okay, I, I hope so. I mean, I don't know how your dad would take it if you're tripping out the whole time celebrating his birthday. That'd be a little weird. Um, from the meetings, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. Any just, we, I know we kind of touched off on stuff that could be discussed from earlier this week, but from what you remember from, uh, you know, in between being on the beach and all that, uh, what were your biggest takeaways from the uh, GM meetings in Florida? You know, one of the things that interested me, and, and it was just a tough one to dig into, is sort of the status of officiating. You know, obviously, this is something that's been discussed a bunch around the league. We've had, you know, a couple of coaches fine for criticizing referees this year. You know, the GMs were told at the meeting, at least as it was relayed to me by one of the GMs, they're basically instructed not to comment on it publicly. And so, you know, it's hard to get a sense of where that's at. But, but because we're this close to the playoffs and the way this game goes, we've all been around long enough. There's going to be some controversy or multiple controversies around missed calls or what have you. And, and so, you know, I was kind of curious about that. I, I, I get a feeling there's, there's certainly some GMs that have concerns, but again, no one's, everyone's reticent to say too much and, you know, it's going to cost you money in the, in the, the pay books. So it may not be worth it. it might not change anything either. So like, I, I wish I had a better sense of how that discussion went behind closed doors. Um, you know, that's the tricky part. I, I think I mentioned this Monday, but, you know, you, you cover the meetings and you get to talk to the people in the meetings, but you're not physically in the meetings. So, um, you know, a lot of it, there's, there's the risk of broken telephone, I think, at an event like this. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that's going to be a, a hot button topic, you know, a bit of stuff on the World Cup, which we could get into, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff we teed up ahead of time. You know, it sounds it's probably interesting in a sense. It's really minutia, but but could have ramifications on how things work in future seasons that the idea of the sort of how LTIR is handled or a playoff salary cap or we're going to frame that. The fact that it didn't die was notable. Um, you know, certainly there's nothing in the works per se, but but there was a discussion, I believe it was about 30 minutes on, on Tuesday. And, you know, that that's going to be picked up again when the, the GMs next meet at the Stanley Cup final. So that's kind of one that we'll, we'll be watching going forward. And as I say, could it potentially have a big impact on 
moves around the trade deadline in that because it's it's really kind of a Nikita Kucherov, Patrick Kane, whatever's going on in Vegas type of rule. You know, I'm not saying it's different. The thing is, it's hard to separate these things. And Vegas is a different Vegas just has a whole bunch of guys injured and they have LTI or challenges. Um, you know, the Tampa situation was kind of specific, but anyway, I'll be curious to see where that goes. But it was it was a good few days. I, I did get the sense on sort of just a personal level that everyone really appreciated being back physically together the first time in two years of GMs. Um, obviously these guys all communicate a lot throughout the year on their, their phones, but you know, I, there's a pretty good vibe around everything and, you know, couldn't complain about the weather. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. I want to start with the world cup because uh, the biggest takeaway from that, yes, there could be one in 2024, but the fact that uh, team North America and team Europe are dead, they were fun aspects of the last world cup. Why would the NHL decide, you know what, we don't like fun when it comes to those two teams and we're scrapping them from the actual tournament. We're going to have just real countries. Like why, why would they do that? Two obvious reasons to me. I think the long-term plan here is they want this to actually be a world cup. They want this to be something that becomes a preeminent best on best hockey event in the world. Much like we see with the world cup of soccer right now, Canada qualifies. Yay. Yes, sir. Remind everyone of that. And um, you know, so I think that to build it out long-term, you're going to have to establish some sort of play-in formula. And that's a lot of what's being talked about now. It sounds like there could be a play-in late 2023, you know, in Europe. Uh, I don't know how many, like, the, I think the numbers and all that, some of that logistics is being worked out, but a couple of countries anyway would probably advance from the play-in into the event, you know, with teams like Canada and the U.S. automatically granted a spot there. And, you know, so I think that that's one thing. Another thing is, Team North America was awesome. In fact, for my money, the most memorable part of that tournament, and I covered every game there. I was I was there from start to finish. But it's not every year you could put together an under-23 Canada and U.S. team that could compete with countries in best-on-best. Best. I mean, you had a pretty special set of circumstances with, you know, particularly Matthews and McDavid on the same team, but, you know, Ekblad, Shifley, Johnny Goodrow. I mean, it was just a stacked team. Um, and so... I think that just because that was just sort of a special moment in time that worked really well, but I think you'd be at risk potentially in future years. And I'm not saying in 2024, cause I don't have my head around which prospects are where at that point, but I, I do think that there's a risk that that team wouldn't be that competitive and therefore wouldn't be that interesting in future times. So, you know, if you're going to build this right, which they, they really shouldn't be aiming to do, like there's the world cup in 2004, mm-hmm. then one in 2016, now we're looking at 2024. I mean, you just can't establish any rhythm if it's not regular. And if there isn't, I think some kind of plan event and you got to keep the countries engaged. And so, you know, I think they're thinking a little bigger and that's, that's, that's the main reasons, but you know, I'm not taking anything away from team North America, 2016, or even team Europe who got to the final against Canada. I mean, that those, those teams did well, but they were really, the reasons those teams came together too, Julian at the time is the NHL was really crunched for time. And when it was planning that world cup and, and they didn't have time to actually roll out and, and, conduct kind of a proper plan event and so they they were they were by necessity at the time it ended up probably working better than anyone thought but but it was totally a one-off experiment okay i have a question about the frequency of the world cup you bring up a really good point like over the last how many years it's been there's like so much distance in between at least the world cups that, that i have seen in my lifetime and while the olympics are still around and players still want to play for the olympics why not have a situation where 
a bit similar to what we see in, in, in soccer where you have the World Cup and then every two years for, we have the Euros for, for European teams, for example, or like African Cup of Nations or, or, or uh, the tournament in South America as well, or the Gold Cup in North America where they're kind of offsetting in years that aren't with the World Cup or just around them. It could be a little bit blurred, but the idea I'm just trying to say is why not have the Olympics, they have their, they have their time, and then in two years, you have the World Cup. And then two years again, you have the Olympics again. And then another two years, you have the World Cup. Like, at least have it a bit more frequent so the World Cup is not out of sight, out of mind. I'm just throwing out an idea, but I'm with you on the idea that it needs to be a little bit more frequent. Yeah, I think that is the hope, what you just laid out. And, you know, the Olympics, for all kinds of reasons, have just not worked lately. But the players still want to go. It's still in the CBA. They're supposed to be in Italy in 2026. So, already what we're talking about i think when this world cup gets finalized there's going to be plans for 2024 and 2028 this will be in 2026 i mean you start to see that pattern and and the beauty about that is is a lot of this becomes narrative driven in a sense i mean part of best on best it captures your attention for a short amount of time it's kind of a measure in that moment who's the best or or sometimes obviously luck or good fortune plays into what happens but you know in 2024 someone might have their hearts broken as a country. It might be Canada. Canada's had a good long run in men's hockey, best on best uh, of winning events. Um, you know, maybe Canada loses 2024. And then just think of the hype that goes into the 2026 Olympics if, if Canada were to lose it. Maybe they don't win there. You know, like that's, and and, and that plays out in, in each of the, especially the top hockey countries where, you know, there's hope for, for to win gold or to win, win the tournament. And so, you know, I think that is the ideal scenario. I think it makes sense. You know, when they did that 2012-13 CBA, it's, it's amazing how time flies. I mean, it's, we're yeah. talking almost a decade ago. There was actually a section added to that CBA about growing international hockey. I think to some degree, the NHL has done that um, because, you know, it, it has held regular season games in Europe, um, you know, pre-COVID times and has plans to do so again next season. Um, you know, I think they have expanded their footprint there. But, like, if you're looking at ways a sport could grow – I think the NHL has to bring its brand even more to those places where people love hockey naturally. And so um, all this feeds into that, in my opinion, I think one, you know, the, the Olympics don't necessarily put money directly into the NHL's pockets, but I, I, I find it hard sort of disingenuous to argue that it's bad for the fundamentals of the hockey. I, it just could be bad for individual owners, say if their best player gets injured over there and it costs them playoff dates. I mean, that's, that's the balance, but I mean, fundamentally, when you have 5 million people in a country watch one game of your sport, I mean, that's got to help with having interest in that sport continue and, and kids enter it. Anyway, I'm way down the rabbit hole here, but oh, the fine. point is, the point is, is that yes, it's got to be regular. It's a shame. And that the best players that Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and the like, their generation have never played for their countries in best on best at the, the men's level. You know, they, they did it at the world juniors and all that, but um, you know, I think it's it's just about time. The NHL recognizes that. And, you know, I really think we're going to see a regular series of events here starting with that February 2024 World Cup. Yeah, that would be ideal to see if that if that's what it takes for us to see Connor McDavid play at the senior men's national level for Team Canada. At this point, I think we're just going to have to take it at this. We want to see him play with Sidney Crosby, too. Right. Like, yes. Like, that's the whole point. Like one of the shame things like I actually I never. 100% confirm this, but I, I think there was a world where those guys might've played on the same line in Beijing. If it, if it had been NHL best on best, I think that there was at least a willingness on Crosby's end to play the wing. If that's what the coaching staff wanted. And, 
you know, I don't know if it would have lasted. You know, Team Canada's lines always get switched around in these tournaments, but it just would have been cool to see those guys on the same line. It's just there's something sort of symbolic about it. Um, I actually remember when I was working at Sportsnet, they sent me down to Pittsburgh when Connor McDavid played his first game head to head against Crosby. And it was really cool, like how much it clearly meant to him. Like it wasn't just, it wasn't like a media created thing. Um, you know, it clearly like was, was a big deal for him and he had a great game and it was just, you know, it's, there's something special about sort of torches being passed in that way. And so, you know, even if you're American, you're thinking of Austin Matthews with Patrick Kane, you know, and Kane is one of Austin Matthews really influences when he was a kid, he would watch all his highlights. And, and so I just think all that stuff, like that's part of the, the cool thing that happens in these, these sort of events. And, and so you you need to have them frequently again, because the, the lifespan of an NHL career is just not that long. Yeah. And at the end of the day for fans, just wanting to see those players come together at the end of the day, we have to think of them too. And the possibility of seeing some of the best players we've seen just come together on these international teams. I, look, I get it. If, if, the, if it's going to be a bit more frequent, I'm all for having the World Cup, even if it means we don't get Team North America or Team Europe. Well, I know we kind of jumped into World Cup talk and you kind of touched off on the salary cap LTIR stuff. Um, I hope we didn't miss anything in, in the preamble on that. You did mention that they did kind of discuss it for about like 30 minutes at the GM meetings. Like I, I've already kind of made my position clear. Like I don't, I'm not crazy about the idea of, trying to add that for the playoffs or anything like that. But the fact that they are, that it got to a point where it was brought up before and then discussed again at the meetings, like it's, it is really interesting to me. Well, and here's the deal. I don't think it's that big of an issue personally. I think I've laid this out, but you know, there's not that many teams that are really able to use it. And like the circumstances really have to line up for it to be viewed as a true tool that you can game. But you know, the other thing, too, is I have a reasonable understanding of the collective bargaining agreement, at least for someone who does my job, because uh, it's yeah. not my job to, to operate under it. But LTIR, like the way it works, is one of the most confusing. It's probably the most confusing aspect of the whole CBA. It's highly nuanced. I know multiple people that are, are cap that run the cap for NHL teams that, that struggle to wrap their minds around it or that, that need to call central registry when they're operating it for advice or just, you know. And so that, I'm only laying out that piece of context to say, maybe there's some small tweak to a system. I don't truly understand that makes this all better. And, and so go, go away and explore that and tell us about it. And hopefully we can relay it to the public because it really is highly technical in, in the way all that stuff works. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't think that many teams are truly gaining this huge advantage from it uh, personally. And, and, you know, even when you talk about the golden Knights, like there's a lot of questions about them specifically at this meeting, the point I kept making is if if they can't activate Mark Stone, if he becomes healthy, like that's that's a penalty to them anyway, because they're in a playoff race. Now, the counter would be like a team like Tampa was in no danger really of missing the playoffs. So they had no reason to activate Kucherov. But, you know, I'm just saying there's a dangerous line teams are walking. And, and really, there's only five or six or eight teams, even when you get this late into the season, that are sure things for the playoffs. Like there's there's a number of teams right now that are in, but if they lost five games in a row would be on the wrong side of the line. And so, you know, you don't want to take too much for granted. And so I just think it's, it's so few teams truly benefit from this. It, I get why the attention it got when Kucherov did it. I mean, Dougie Hamilton came out after Carolina lost to Tampa and, you know, mentioned losing to a $90 million payroll or something to that effect. I mean, I get why players, I guess, don't like it, but um, I just, I'm not sure that there's a way to make this, perfect in the way that everyone will feel satisfied. 
Um, the next point I wanted to bring up, and this is one of the rare times I have to admit, I had a whole setup plan for the next thing I want to bring up, and my mind just completely blanked for a second. This is so embarrassing. It finally uh, took 50 I'll take a something sip of episodes. Coffee. We'll just have a brief <laughs> just we'll rediscover okay. our flow. Okay, there we go. I got it. The thing I wanted to ask about was um the discussion of no trade clauses. Obviously, we discussed in depth about Evgeny Dadnov. And what happened to him with the Vegas Golden Knights? Was that touched on at all uh, in Florida? Yeah, they're going to make a, a change there. The, the NHL and the NHLPA are already discussing it. And, and it sounds like essentially how it'll work is, you know, when when players or their agents send in the no trade clause to the team, that's the NHL Central Registry and the NHLPA will also be CC'd on that. It will be placed into some sort of database. And, and I think it's really just an extra layer of, you know, something can't go wrong something can't be missed element to it um you know and and that makes sense i mean i I didn't get the feeling that one was controversial i think everyone understood that was just a situation that that a a league can't have happen it's not fair to the player it's not really fair to the i mean i i don't i don't know who's wrong here so i don't want to but like it's probably if the golden knights didn't know that there was a no trade clause there it's not really fair to them that that's the trade they tried to make to relieve their cap situation it didn't happen um, but I don't want to wade too far into that because I, I really am not 100% sure where the breakdown happened there. But Central Registry didn't know there was a trade list, obviously, or they wouldn't approve the trade. So, um, you know, I think that this makes sense. And, and, you know, there's some danger, I guess, that now there won't be any secrets or whatever, that some of these trade lists will get out there. But, um, you know, I, I think by and large, this is just a logical fix to, to try to safeguard the system from, from something like this going down again. Thank you for cleaning that up. I don't know what happened in my brain in that like last minute where I was just like, oh man, there's the whole setup of this next topic I wanted to bring up. And just for whatever reason, I blanked for a second. It happens to the best of us, CJ. Dude, you know, it's uh, it's a long season. So you just got to manage your energy. It's all it's all good. Absolutely. Was there anything else uh, from the meetings that you want to bring up that I missed? Not really. Nothing that jumps out. I mean, there was obviously other things discussed there, but you know, some of them weren't that meaty for our purposes. Um, you know, there's some small tweaks being considered. The coach's challenge, for example, this is, this will become relevant in the playoffs. This, we might see something like this come up in the playoffs. Um, you know, as it goes right now, if, if a major penalty is assessed, the referee has a chance to review that penalty in the penalty box and reverses call to a, a two minute penalty, minor penalty, but he can't take it to nothing. He can't, he can't rule. He just was wrong. Uh, so it was discussed maybe giving referees this one being if it, if it ever came to be, it's got to go through the competition committee and wouldn't come in until next season. Uh, but they're, they're, they're thinking of expanding, I guess, the things referees can review and what they can do. And that makes sense because just let, let's lay this out to hypothetical referee assesses a major in game seven of a cup final game and goes to the penalty box, gets, uses that review tool, realizes it shouldn't be a penalty at all, but he has to give it at least a two. That, that doesn't really make sense because the team still gets a power play and potentially a pivotal game. And it's, so I think that that's something that could come out of it. But again, a lot of those are really highly nuanced parts of the rule book that, that get looked at. And um, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't too much else. I mean, it was, I know we'll talk about Eugene Malnick later, but that was, that was an interesting, I mean, it's, it's a sad moment, but you know, that news came down when I was in an area with, you know, maybe eight or 10 of the GMs, not, not, but sort of in the same general area and seeing that, get processed by everyone was, was unique, uh, different. Um, but you know, it was, it was a good couple of days and 
it honestly did feel like another step towards normal, which, as you know, as a, as a regular on this podcast, Julian, you understand that that's, that's what I'm all about. That's very true. And yes, we will get to a uh, discussion about Eugene Melnick just before we get to stick taps. But before we do that, I wanted to, uh, well, I had some time last night and I just started looking around at, you know, the goals list leaders who's leading that and assists and all that. And it seems as if we have ourselves a tie right now atop the goals list between one uh, Leon Dreisaitl and Austin Matthews, who you and your pops will get to see uh, later tonight. There's a chance Coburg Papa for his birthday gets to see Austin Matthews score goal number 50. Uh, that sounds well, like an exciting ordeal. Actually, let me get the exact text I got from him. Cause I don't, I don't want to misquote my own dad on my own podcast. <laughs> I get that. I, I can't wait to see it as you, uh, Tuesday night, yes. Tuesday night, 8 41 PM. Wow. Leafs unbelievable. I'm okay. If Austin waits till Thursday for number 50, uh, he had already circled. He'd already circled that he could get a birthday gift and seeing a milestone goal. I mean, not many people in any in, in Leafs history have scored 50. It's there's a list of three. Dave Andrewchuk did it uh, twice. I think Rick Vi might have done it three times, but he definitely did it multiple times. And Gary Lehman, but it's been a long time since a, a Leafs player has done it. Obviously, Matthews would have actually done it each of the last two seasons if they were full seasons and not wiped out by COVID. But um, yeah, that'll be cool whether whether he does it tonight or not. It's going to be uh, maybe a little birthday present there for for Cobra Poppy if uh, if poppy pops one yeah yeah you see I, I heard the poppy i had used cobra poppy like earlier in our show you see what like, i was doing there i just got the tongue twisted you know yeah you got poppy papa and you're like mm, pops i get it i understand but like the fact that both dry and matthews tied at 49 i believe dry was asked about and he's like yeah of course i want to find a way to beat austin matthews for that goal total but like that's pretty cool to see two of the best go at it and just basically dueling, not just to get to 51st, but also who's going to end up getting more goals. I still think Austin can still crack 60 before seasons end, but I think they're well, both cracking 60, man, because they're both want to be beat the other, right? Like it's going to be a sprint to the finish. Um, you know, Austin, as we're recording, this has 16 games left. Leon Dreisel has 14 games left. I mean, 11 goals in 16 games is child's play for Austin Matthews. What we've seen and, and, you know, 11 and 14 for Leon is like right in his wheelhouse. I mean, he's scored just a boatload of goals the last few seasons. So I actually think they both get the 60. I'm not making any predictions who wins. I mean, I guess you just give Austin the edge because he's got two more games to play. Um, but it, I think it'll be interesting to watch. Probably more interesting than than what the Art Ross is going to be. Like, I just expect McDavid to just win it by accident because that seems to be what he does every year. Um I don't, I don't think he needs to try any harder to, to go for points. Like just, just, just doing what he does. He'll he's, he's already reestablished a bit of a lead here. You know, it's only three points on dry side as we're recording, but three points again on your teammate is a lot because they, they're in on each other's goals so often. So yeah, it's, it, I think it's going to be a fun race to the finish. I mean, we've even got Roman Yossi, right? He's got a chance at a hundred points as a defenseman. Um, so there's, there's, a few milestones to see. I, 60 goals might be the biggest of them all, though. And it's cool that there's there's at least two guys that look to have a chance. Maybe, who knows, maybe one of those players just behind him, Chris Kreider, or someone gets hot and, and makes a run at it. It's not impossible. Um, but, you know, it's been a decade since someone sort of 60 goals in the NHL. And there's only been a handful of guys who've done it in the last, like, 30 years. So that's that's a pretty special mark that, that those guys, you know, are, are now within reach of. Um, 
Connor McDavid, by the way, reaching the 100-point tally uh, the fourth time in his career he's done. So, yeah, he's probably going to be the runaway winner of the Art Ross Trophy, barring some late-season catch-up here. Uh, You mentioned Roman Yossi. Like, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was in a meeting with, like, a couple coworkers, and we were talking about Roman Yossi, and I did not realize he had as many points as he had. I did not realize he was on this a torrid of a pace well, throughout the year. Like it's if crazy. You look at his last month, he went bananas. Like he, had, yeah. he was having a great season, but the last month has been like video game stuff. So that's why you probably didn't realize because it's it's pretty recent that he's bolted this quickly, this fast. Yeah, because because we we hyped up Kale McCarr. At one point people were wondering if Kale McCarr was going to get like 40 goals in a season. He's in his like 20s in terms of goals right now, but like Roman Yossi is flirting with a 100 point season. He might come a little short of that with the amount of games he might have left, but that's still a remarkable point. And I get with the Norris, it's not necessarily about goals and assists for that position, but I mean, there's no question Roman Yossi has put himself firmly in that discussion for the Norris Trophy this season. Yeah, to me, it's got to be Makar, Hedman, or Yossi that wins it. I mean, that's just my view of it. I guess something could change in the next month. There's still a bit of time here, but that that to me seems to be your your list of finalists. And then it's what order you want to write them down in when you got it when you get your ballot. Um, you know, pretty heady stuff. I mean, the cool thing that underlies this whole discussion, frankly, is that this season right now is the NHL's best in terms of goals production since ninety five ninety six. Yes, um, in terms of goals per game. So that's, I mean, one, one begets the other, right? We're talking about the top players in the league chasing these special milestones. Well, well, part of the reason of that is because there's, there's more goals being scored and those are the players that account for points or goals on those goals. So, um, you know, I, I think it's exciting. I think it's good for the league. I, I don't totally know why it's happened. Cause if you look at power plays, like it's, it doesn't appear to be all driven by power play percentage. You know, I would think, and I really haven't dug into this, I should probably be digging into it rather than just like speculating wildly, but let's go ahead anyway. Uh, I would think that we see more empty net goals these days because teams more frequently are pulling goaltenders early. Sometimes you see multiples in a game that then was sort of common practice in the 90s, say. Uh, But, you know, there's also been an influx of skilled players in the league and and that's got to be playing a role too. Uh, So it's, it's, I think it's great for the league. Whatever it is, I hope they can isolate it and continue it. You know, we've seen some wacky scores lately. What was it, 11-2, the Pittsburgh-Detroit yeah. game? Yeah, like it's Detroit. It's like, yeah, a 10-7 Phil- game involving Detroit a, a month ago. Like, I love it. Dmitry Filipovich a couple of days ago put up a tweet saying that the Red Wings have had games where they've allowed 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 goals allowed. Like, that's... That's 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 zany. The other night I was watching a Florida Panthers Canadians game that ended seven to four in favor of right. the Florida Panthers. We've and seen that's normal now. Players. Yeah, that like that's not like as crazy. Like two years ago, you'd be like seven four. We'd be talking about it for weeks, but like now that that just passes by your scoreline because you see that's like sort of wild scores now. I, I think it's great, honestly. I'm I've enjoyed hockey this year. Like I'm especially like sort of once we got through all the COVID stuff, like the disruptions, and you never knew which team was playing when and what was going on. Like, I think we're going to have a great run into the playoffs. And and I think the first round is going to be nuts. We're going to have to do a pod every day or something. I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) There's just going to be so much to react to. I'm just saying if we three days go between pods, like it'll be like, wow, 
Yeah, that's true. We, I mean, we had like an emerge, an emergency trade deadline podcast, and we're gonna have to do that for. I thought about this, right? And this is us again doing one of those like in podcast meetings here. Like, I mean, you're, you're are you gonna be on like Leafs playoff coverage? Like, how's that gonna work for you this year? I honestly don't know. Yeah, I don't have any indication, inclination what it'll be. Um, but I mean, whether I'm on location all over the place. Like I basically I have been the last 12 or 15 years of my career, or if I'm based at home a little bit more, I'm still going to be watching all the action. So, I mean, e- either way, in some ways, if I don't end up going and covering like one series intensively, you, you can actually, you can better keep a handle on what's happening elsewhere. Cause when you're immersed in it every day, there's just not a, a ton of time, you know, sometimes games are on in the afternoon when you're at practices or what have you. So I don't really know, but we're going to find a way and it's going to be fun. Honestly, I think I, our playoff pods we're going to, have to up our game a bit yeah for sure did you hear about the uh the sdpn announcement by the way about the, the game over shows they're expanding no yes uh they uh if you go on sdpn.ca slash careers wow. right now uh they are taking applicants for people to host shows of game over just like andrew berkshire does in montreal for a couple of markets out in uh, calgary I believe Edmonton is one. I believe Toronto is one as well. Uh, I think they're looking at Winnipeg and possibly Vancouver as well. Yeah, the game over uh, is expanding. The announcement came uh, Tuesday night, actually. So, hey, I mean, we might not even have to necessarily do like a whole like every night thing because there may be podcasts on this network that might do it for us. Ah, there you go. I love that. Yeah, Yeah, I love that idea, too, personally. Uh, But I also love the idea of us just like trying to react to everything as as much as we can during the postseason, which I, I, I'm with you. I'm 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 anticipating uh, a lot of you know competition and a lot of great teams in the playoffs. I was reading an article from Dom Lachizan before we got on today, and uh, he had like, maybe I'm not explaining it properly here, but one of his models that he has like they try to rank like contending teams, and normally it's around between two or four that are like really good. There's like up to like maybe six, seven or eight because you're, you're thinking maybe a Colorado, a Florida. You have to put Toronto in there. You put Tampa Bay, Carolina, in you, put Carolina you put Pittsburgh in there. Uh, I think I mentioned I mentioned Boston, but Boston might have a chance at it, too. Like there are so many teams this year. Who, Minnesota, who I want to get to uh, a little later on as uh, they are doing really well. There are so many teams right now who are so good, who have a legitimate chance at Lord Stanley's mug at the end of like near the end of the summer. Like it's, it's, it's insane. It's awesome. It's awesome. I do. It's funny. I was just thinking, I wish producer Nick had his camera on when I said, we're going to do a pod every day. Like he'd be like, Oh, that's just so much Chris and Julian like in his ear. <laughs> Cause he's got to listen uh, in real time and then listen again. So yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Also, I should say beginning of the summer for the Stanley cup, not the end of the summer, but you get what I mean. Um, oh, this is what? a jams note. It sounds like next year they're going to be back on normal schedule. Oh, okay. So we'll. So okay. like no no entry draft in July as we're going to be in Montreal early July. No free agency in mid July. Back to probably July first free agency and then back. You know the cup gets handed out by mid June. All that stuff. So I think they're hoping to be recalibrated for 2022-23. Fingers crossed. I mean, already just being in Montreal for the summer, there's stuff happening all the time. It just hit me that the NHL draft is going to be like smack 
near the end of of jazz fest i don't know if you've ever been in montreal for jazz fest i have but i have oh man it's i mean so already the city's gonna be lit and i know with covid and all that but i I, i'm pretty confident by that point things should be okay uh but yeah it's going to be it's going to be quite a time in montreal in july and uh, hey maybe things uh maybe things will happen and maybe i'm saying too much already um we're having a show there adam get on it Boom. <laughs> Just enough. put it out there for everybody. Enough oh, is come enough. On, we got to manifest here. Like, come Boom. on. We're coming to your try- I wasn't like, trying. I wasn't trying to. Events on the calendar. We need a presence there. I wasn't trying to spoil anything. See, I was trying to tease people with that. You, you just were just like, screw it. Like, we're, just, we're doing a show there. <laughs> I'm trying to tease it. Oh, it's okay. so I, no, I don't know. If, like, I haven't, no one's told me we're doing a show there hundred percent, but I just think it would, I, I think our audience would show up for a show in Montreal. Absolutely. They would. On July 5th or 6th or 7th or 8th, whatever date it ends up working with around the draft event. Like, come on, our people show. Oh, absolutely. Let us know in the comment section, by the way, you know, if you are in Montreal or if you just would just make the spamming Adam Wild, please on Twitter, just at Adam yes. Wild and just let them know that you want a live SDPN show including CJ and Julian in Montreal in July. And I also want a Coburg show too. I still want that damn show. That's going to be season two. I think we didn't, that, that kind of, we lost the momentum, but I think like next fall, next winter, that's happening. Okay. Let's find a way to make that work. Cause uh, I, I got to see the, I got to see the city where CJ came up from anyway. Uh, Minnesota. The you Minnesota don't need much okay. time. You won't need much time. <laughs> Just like what? <laughs> That's Set fine. aside just, an hour and I'll show you all the sites. All right, fine. Uh, I want to talk about the Minnesota Wild really briefly because they are the NHL's hottest team right now. A uh, seven-game win streak. Uh, flower power, Marc-Andre Fleury, has only allowed three goals in the two games he's played with the uh, the Minnesota Wild so far. They've beaten Boston, Chicago, Vegas, Vancouver, uh, Columbus, Colorado, and Philly to get to that seven-game win streak. Tonight, they play the Pittsburgh Penguins to see if they could extend it to eight. They're pretty comfortable in the Central Division where they're at right now. I believe they're in second in their division. Any thoughts on the win streak? Any thoughts on the Minnesota Wild? We all know, like, with with the salary cap problems that are coming for them later on, this is a make-it-or-break-it year for them this year. Maybe make-it-or-break-it to a point. I mean, they still have good young players. You know, a question mark, though, like Kevin Fiala, and I don't have his numbers up, but he's been point a game for 30 or 40 games, something along that, that line. He's been awesome for them. You know, can they afford to keep someone like him when those salary cap crunches come through? Because we know they're either keeping Kirill Kaprizov and, and, and some others. And so those will be decisions that Bill Guerin will, will have to navigate come this summer. But, you know, enjoy the ride right now. I think the Wild have been, between last season and this season, it's two of their most entertaining seasons that they've had in their existence. Because, of course, they, they were born under Jacques Lemaire once upon a time and just were, played a certain style. And it was a different era of the NHL, too. But they played a lot of 2-1 games in their history before getting to now. And I, I just think that they're an exciting team. You know, what's interesting about the Fleury acquisition is that Cam Talbot, his battery mate now in net, has been red hot but even yes. before the, the trade went through, but, he, but since as well. And so they've got two decent or even above average options there. Um, which which is helpful, and and they've got a skilled deep team. I mean, I think we're all looking at sort of Calgary, Colorado as the two teams to really fear in the West. We'll see. Maybe can, can Vegas get back in our conversation? I don't know if it's possible, just given the injuries and all that. But 
Um, you know, I think at a fully healthy, fully clicking Golden Knights team would be pretty daunting as well. I just don't know if we're going to get a chance to see that before the end of this season. Uh, but Minnesota's got to try to, they're going to have to upset one of those, one of those powers at some point, if they're going to have a long playoff run, but you know, I'm, I'm not ruling out that they could do it. Um, I'm, you know, other than the fact we're back in the Panthers publicly for their all-star game bet, I'm not, I'm not saying anything's for certain this year. I just, it feels, it feels like a wide open class. I know there's a few teams that are really good. Like Colorado is going to be tough to beat. Uh, but is it impossible that someone else takes a chunk out of them? I, I don't think so. I don't think anyone, there's not a lot of certainty in this sport to begin with, but there's even less certainty this season. Uh, you mentioned Calgary. I, I didn't mention them initially when I was listing off all those contending teams. They should definitely be in that camp. That's a team that has had some really good games against the Colorado Avalanche this year. So I, 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 I don't want to. He had his second quote about not wanting to play Colorado because you're just going to get your ass kicked. And that doesn't much interest me. His second quote along those lines, like it's very clear Calgary wants to win its division, not to hang a division banner, but to, Basically, it's the, if you win your division, you guarantee you can't play Colorado until at least the Western Conference final. So you know, it, it's clear to me that, that he's just openly admitting they, they don't want any scenario where they drop back here and have to face him any sooner than that. Yeah, a, a collision course with those two teams in the West would be must watch television without a doubt. Like if we're talking Are you going to battle all Alberta, please? Please. I want it. I want it. I Come think on. that'd be perfect. I would I would watch that. I mean, there's no question we would watch it. It would be incredible. Uh, Calgary would win that series, though. And I felt that way earlier in the year. And now I feel even more confident that they would win a series over the Edmonton Oilers, though. Yeah. I mean, if you had to make me choose one or the other and my life was on the line, I would say Calgary. But it, it, hockey's crazy, man. And Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, who knows? But you're right. Cal I, I think Calgary is a legitimate cup contender. Like, I have them in my top tier of teams, actually. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to go see them go on that kind of run. I think they have the goaltending. I think they play a style that predicts success. Their top players have been unreal this year. Like, like scroll through the NHL scoring leaders. You've got Goodrow up there. You've got Matthew Kachuk right near the top. Even Elias Lindholm. Is, is, you don't have to scroll down too far before you're finding his name. I mean, they just, they've got a deep, deep team. I think that the Foley edition was smart. You know, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll have question marks about their blue line. Maybe. But I don't see it as a, a huge issue because I think as a team, they play so sound defensively that they're built to have, you know, a long playoff run. Yeah. Um, I, it's a bit of a hard transition from <laughs> talking about the excitement of the rest of the NHL season into the postseason. I know we, we, we talked about Minnesota and how some of these cup, contend cup contending teams are. However, there was some sad news that did take place earlier this week uh, with the uh, the uh, the owner of the Ottawa Senators, Eugene Melnick, passing away after a long illness. Um, it's a bit of an interesting story, or at least an interesting way we've kind of commemorated him in the last few days in the fact that, yes, he was the owner of the Ottawa Senators and did everything he could to keep the team in there, but because in Ottawa, but because of the fact that he had that history of basically alienating fans and, and media and even players, it's made his legacy a bit complicated. I know Ian Mendez, uh, and I've been picking this up pretty much on almost every podcast I've been on. He wrote a really good article for The Athletic. It was excellent. Basically, it was excellent. It detailed how complicated that legacy was. He found a way to balance himself on the tightrope of, of, you know, making Eugene a human while also detailing some not so good stuff. What do you think of the, 
way we've been remembering Eugene Melnick over the last few days since his passing? Well, first, just one more thought on the Mendez's piece in the athletic is that that's an example of when someone has covered someone their entire life, essentially, or they're, 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 like he was there in Ottawa for all of Eugene Melnick's tenure. And so he obviously he's had those personal interactions, which made that story really pop. But he also has a true sort of clear view of everything that went on. And, and it's a reminder, honestly, things really aren't black and white too often in life. Like it's it's you you someone might brand him like a terrible owner because he was responsible for Daniel Alfredson, you know, twice exiting the organization. And you might be a diehard senators fan who loved Daniel Alfredson. And you know, you might not like what he said in the media at the time that, that we went there for that outdoor game and he mused to the reporters about moving the team out of town. But then you, you zoom out and you're like, first of all, he bought this team when it was in headed for bankruptcy. He kept it in Ottawa. That was in 2003. He kept it in Ottawa these last 19 years. You know, he did try to get a downtown arena built, which would have, I think, ensured the team's safety or, or the, the fact they'd stay there for at least another 20 years or more. Um, and, and, you know, we'll see, there's still talk that that downtown project could be, uh, it's not completely dead on the vine yet. So, you know, I think if it depends what you want to pick out of the story, right? I think high level, he was highly colorful, often controversial, um, you know, did some things that, that were open to criticism, but he also kept the team there. He cared about the team. I think he cared about the city and, and, and trying to keep that organization going. I mean, he didn't just sell it to someone who was going to move it elsewhere when, when there were times, I think he could, I mean, he had to refinance the team twice, I believe, at least that they announced publicly. And so, you know, it was a bit of a struggle for him at times to keep the thing afloat financially, but he remained steadfast to Ottawa. And, you know, I should just say on a personal level, just 62 is way too young to die. It's just, a, it's a sad story on that front. You know, he had a health scare a few years ago and got a, a liver transplant, but, um, you know, he's left behind young kids, two young daughters who are in their twenties and, and, you know, essentially we will have to find out if they want to continue to own this team. Do they want to sell it? I, I, you know, it's not really not clear where things go from here in terms of his estate uh, and what the succession plan might be. But, you know, I think in a lot of ways, he, I think he was good for the sport in a lot of ways. It's just, I think you would have appreciated maybe more stability as a Senators fan through some of those years. And obviously maybe some of the personal things that went down with, you know, a legend like Alfredson and a few others, but anyone who's going to run anything in the public eye for 20 years is probably going to have a few marks against them on the scorecard, just because it's, it's a difficult thing to do. I think that's really well said CJ uh, with regards to Eugene Melnick and, and way to add the, uh, to answer another question I had with regards to, you know, what's going to happen with the ownership of, of this team. It, you're right. It does seem a little bit up in the air with that. I, I did have questions about that. Well, and I have to presume there's, there was some sort of plan laid out uh, just because Eugene, you know, was very ill when he got his liver transplant five or so years ago. And so, you know, when someone has a potential, someone has the, the amount of money or assets that he has, and it, it has a serious health scare, you know, I, I would have to believe that this plan is laid out in his will, or, you know, it's been communicated to the NHL. It's just that that hasn't been shared publicly. And, and I don't think it'd be very responsible for me to speculate on what it might look like. You know, Gary, Gary Batman did mention Tuesday at the GM's meeting that he's been in touch with the executor of the state. And so, you know, there will be a process there. And I think it will become more clear over time, whether it's, 
you know, it could be sold at auction. It could be his daughters run the team. Like I, it really could be a number of things. Maybe he's left it to somebody else in trust or something. You know, I just don't know what's in his will. And, you know, it's, it's hard, hard to know, but I would guess with reasonable certainty, the NHL has known about what the plan would be for, for some time, just because, you know, he's, he's been in declining health for a number of years. Mm-hmm. On the subject of the Ottawa Senators, uh, did you catch whiff of the uh, report from La Presse about the idea that uh, about five games from the Ottawa Senators, I think maybe next year, could be played in Quebec City? Any quick thoughts on that? I think it's an interesting idea. I understand why if you're a Senators fan, you might bristle at it. But let's face it, if if Quebec City doesn't have a team, it's a chance to at least bring NHL hockey to their, their building probably selling out all those five games. I'm guessing, I guess it might depend on the opponents and the timeline and all that stuff, but it, it could be a revenue maker. It could be a chance for Quebec even to show that it can step up and really support NHL hockey. Like I, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. To me, five games is it's not a material amount. Um, you know, like I'm just saying, if you're a fan, you still get 36 home games in your own market. So it's, it's not, I, I don't think I didn't necessarily see that move as one that, that is a sign the senators are moving to Quebec city as much as it's, I think it's just a chance to try to make more money, uh, because they do have trouble selling out their own arena. And that's, that was the case even before pandemic. That's not just a pandemic related turn of events. So, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. My understanding is it was really preliminary talks and actually, I, it sounds like with Eugene's passing, actually, that it's less likely to happen, ironically. Like the stories come out after his death, but I think the talks really were held before his death and it was something he was sort of pursuing. And so now that the team uh, is, is in a little bit of an uncertain period in terms of who's running it, I, I think it's actually less likely to happen than it was you know, before he died. And with that, we should uh, express our deepest condolences to the Melnick family in light of Eugene's passing. Uh, let's make sure we have that there uh, with regards to that with Eugene Melnick. Uh, Another thing I want to bring up just before we get to stick taps, uh, a bit of an unfortunate injury to Clayton Keller of the Arizona Coyotes suffered on Wednesday night, Uh, just kind of awkwardly fell into the boards uh, in a game, I believe against San Jose. Uh, I just came across a tweet. I believe that came from Clayton Keller here. He just sent this earlier uh, Thursday morning. Want to thank my teammates, the fans, and medical personnel for the love and support last night. Unfortunately, the season's over for me, but I'm resting comfortably at the hospital in good spirits. I will be back better than ever for day one next season. That's at least good to hear. We we got carted off. He put up the two thumbs up just to let everyone know he was okay. Uh, But yeah, it was was a bit of a gruesome injury just just to see, but it's just good to see that Clayton Keller is okay. It is another reminder why social media isn't all bad. Something like that before you even have too much time to worry about it as a fan or someone who just watched that you're getting right from his mouth or his fingers, you know, where he's at and what he's thinking. It's great. That's good. And with that, let's get to stick taps. Uh, That's the thing we do every Thursday where we just show some love to somebody, uh, whether in the hockey community or outside of that. Uh, I'll start CJ. Uh, I'll shout out Ben Stelter, the five-year-old battling gliobastoma, who uh, the Edmonton Oilers invited as a very special guest a couple of games ago and basically just gave him everything. They let him hang around the locker room. They had him on the ice. He got to hang around, obviously, the best players with the Edmonton Oilers. That was a really cool story to see, and that's one of the more heartwarming ones uh, you can see throughout this NHL season. 
I, I hope for, for Ben, I wish him nothing but the best. And, and I'm sure you feel the same as well. Uh, but that was a really cool moment to see. So I'd like to offer a stick tap and I'll pull out the, uh, the green paddle this time. Just got to quickly dirt out a frame over here. Just give him one of these, you know, stick tap uh, to you, sir. Really cool uh, to see the Edmonton Oilers uh, put on for Ben Stelter like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll double that one. Glioblastoma claimed my mom's life, claimed Gordowney's life, many others, just an awful disease to, to go through. But on a happier news, I'll stick to my dad. I already told you it's his birthday. But if you're ever going to do it, you do it on his birthday. Um, you know, my dad, Ian Johnston, uh, immigrated to Canada in 1969. He's 20 years old. Um, obviously changed the fortunes of our family forever then. Didn't know a hockey puck from a football. Uh, at least at that time, a football he would have thought was a soccer ball. And but But, you know, got interested in the game. He actually played some men's league hockey, even though he didn't get to Canada until his 20s. Uh, passed it on to me and obviously changed the course of my life too because it's, it's given me so much. So thanks for giving me the love of hockey, Dad. Thanks for being a great dad and uh, hope you have a great day and many more birthdays uh, that we can celebrate uh, you know, together. Happy birthday, Cobra Papa. And uh, thank you for your support for the Chris Johnston show and obviously for your support for your son, Chris Johnston. Uh, it is very much appreciated. Just like for everyone watching the show or listening to the show, wherever you are, we appreciate your support of the CJ show. We will be back on Monday with a brand new episode. Get your questions in now for Ask CJ, whether on Discord or through Twitter. On Twitter, just as long as you use the hashtag Ask CJ. And of course, subscribe to all the other great shows on the SDPN network. Uh, subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page. And if you haven't already done so, sdpn.ca slash careers is where you can find the postings for the Game Over shows. The show is expanding beyond Andrew Berkshire in Montreal to so many other markets across Canada, and they want you to be the next host of those shows. So get to applying, get those demos ready, and you could be the next host of Game Over, maybe in Calgary or Winnipeg or wherever the postings are at. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JKMcKenzie.